Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, it's John Gibbons for the on-field wrap with a special. I'm delighted to be joined there by Sanjay Bandari, who's the new chair of Kick It Out. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, I mean, I've introduced you as the chair of Kick It Out, but it, I mean, first of all, I, I'm always reluctant to talk about people in their role, first of all, yeah. because obviously you've had a, a long and I'm sure successful life yeah. before that. So, I mean, first of all... I want to talk about you as a football fan because yep. obviously you wanted to take up this role because of your love of football and interest in football. So if you want to tell us and get the get the bad news out the way yeah. first, if you want um, your sort of relationship <laughs> and, and love of football. Yeah, so uh, I've been a football fan since about 1974. So the very first game I can actually remember watching on TV was Liverpool-Newcastle, the 74 Cup final. Goals pay the rent, Keegan gets his share. That sort of you know, that <laughs> commentary, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then the 1974 World Cup. Uh, I was born and brought up in Wolverhampton and a ref- the referee in the World Cup final in 74 was a butcher from Wolverhampton called Jack Taylor. So like that was a local celebration where I was oh, from. Okay. Uh, and then, but my, my dad wasn't a football fan. My, my uncles and aunties were, and my, my, my cousins, and everyone's got like a favourite uncle and a favourite cousin. And they were United fans. So... Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Man United fan and I've been following home and away for 30 plus years. And I can't believe that 74 final didn't get you. Yeah. <laughs> like, know, we, we, we battered them that day, tore apart Newcastle, one of the best FA Cup final performances of, you know, if, if the years gone by and yeah. uh, wasn't enough. And it spawned one of the best football jokes ever, you know, which was, they used to say, what what gets taken to the cup final every year and never gets used? And, you know, you meant to say the loser's ribbons, it was known as Malcolm McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> but he was all mouth in the air, yeah. um, in the lead up as well, wasn't he? This is, I mean, this is all stories from my, yeah. my father, of course. But, uh, but yeah, so, so you, but you were as Man United who your uncle yep. managed to persuade you, put a scarf on you. Exactly. And you've, I mean, I'm sure you've had and some been, times over the years. Yeah, and of course, you know, when I was a kid in the 70s, uh, all the glory on to supported Liverpool. So loads of my mates are Liverpool fans. Now your generation, all the glory on to support Man United because <laughs> we were successful. And now I don't know whether they'll go to City or Chelsea or I don't know, maybe they will. But. Yeah, so you had to put up with it in school. but uh, uh, For about 20 years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is your first involvement in football, sort of from a professional point of view either. For, from a, yeah, from, from a day-to-day perspective, I've done for the last four years, I was actually working with the Premier League uh, as a panellist, independent panellist on the equality standards. So I'd assess most of the Premier League clubs on their diversity, equality and inclusion activities. Uh, but yeah, um, not it wasn't my profession. I was I, I did uh, a bunch of different things, sort of three phases of my career. I qualified as a lawyer. Uh, I practiced as a lawyer doing sort of international fraud and asset tracing. You know, any big. So the, the first case I did was worth about eight billion back in the early nineties. Uh, I then sort of built legal compliance technology businesses. And then for the last few years, doing innovation and transformation. So, you know, looking at big teams and trying to see it, what would you do differently? What would you do that's new, particularly focused on on technology? And so part of my role here is actually is doing some of that, that transformation work. And then actually all of that time in the last sort of 12 years, I was doing a lot of work in the inclusion and diversity space, being uh, sort of involved in a lot of initiatives, driving change around, particularly around race and ethnicity. Okay, so... 
you've you've now taken over as chair of Kick It Out. Uh, I think it's interesting you've taken over from obviously the founder and someone yeah. who did it for twenty six years. I mean, that's quite yeah. an interesting thing in itself, isn't it? Because it, obviously, the, so much of it was 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 molded sort of in, in his image, really. Uh, yeah, and I won't be doing this for twenty six years. Um, I'll be seventy seven then, and I definitely don't. I don't want to do that. I don't think governance sort of rules and stuff have changed, and just fashion has changed. But also, I think I think I'll see this, you know, three, five, seven year job, keep it fresh, and then let it someone else's yeah. turn. But but yeah, I think also it's a perfect time when you pick it up after someone's done it for that long because you it gives you the natural moment to sort of like, well, well, let's take a pause, let's reflect on where we've been, and then let's refresh for the future. And that's really what I what I'm focused on. Yeah, and that's interesting because you've not sort of come in with a big sort of grand manifesto. If you like, it's more, well, I'm going to do three months, I think, listening tour, you've called it, where you're going to speak to people, you're going to do strategic reviews and, yep. and just kind of see, you know, it's not, it's not you know, the, the 10 point plan necessarily. It's, it's a, well, you know, we'll, 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 you well, know, you're going to listen and learn. Well, we're not going to get all the answers from sitting in a bubble, just us talking to ourselves actually or even talking to our funders you know the FA and the Premier League and the EFL and the PFA it, actually you know what's missing the, the, so football is really different to where it was 26 years ago when mm-hmm. this, this was set up so when it was set up it would have been hard just to engage football in thinking about you know racism in football racism in society what's the role of football in that and actually just getting them engaged was the difficult bit now, actually, it's almost the opposite. You know, we, we, well done, you've lit a fire. Bad news is you've also lit a fire because all the clubs have got diversity and inclusion officers, have all got anti-discrimination policies, all the authorities. Well, that leads to this, like, like tidal wave of requests for support. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're too small to be able to do that. So we have to think about what's the best way that we can energise and galvanise that whole community rather than just service delivery for everybody. Uh, and then it, it caused me to think, well, actually, who are we serving? Who are the people that we're serving? So I want to go out and talk to those people that we're serving. And ultimately, and it's, you know, there are loads of people associated with the game on the periphery, but ultimately this is about players and fans. You know, when, when we're all long gone, it'll be the players who are remembered and it's the fans who will do the remembering. No one will remember. You won't remember who was your chairman in 1965, but you'll know that Ian St. John scored the winning goal of the cup final. Yeah. And I'll know that Albert Johansson was the first black player to play in an FA Cup final. Yeah. That, that's the stuff you remember. So I really want to engage with everyone because everyone might have a view on what's missing, where the answers might be uh, and where we should focus our time and attention and not just tackling racism, but all forms of discrimination because that, that's really our focus. Obviously, racism is really high in the news at the moment and there's been spikes in activity, but we tackle all forms of discrimination. Um, so yeah, talking to everyone, include, you know, including the fans, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going right from... CEOs and chairs to fans to you know the stewards in the ground because they have a, a role to play in this uh, to academies to coaches it's anyone really that's associated with the game and that can have an influence so this week you know I'm, I started the week meeting Peter Moore and I'm finishing the week with you I'm yeah. going from the boardroom to the fans yeah no it's fantastic and and you know it it, it sounds like you know, you, you've got a clear plan of sort of, you know, how you want to sort of go about it, if not necessarily the kind of, you know, you, you know where you're going kind to of get, get end up really. And I think, you know, you mentioned that spike there and it is a time where it feels there's more racism in society and if there's more racism in society, then there will naturally be, be, be more issues 
kind of in the stands. You know, you, you would yeah. you would suspect because you know the you know these football fans don't live in a bubble. And we think if you, yeah. you talk about football supporters being this thing where they're just football supporters twenty four seven. Well, they're not on Monday. They're, they're they're going to work or whatever. And so it's a. It's 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 kind of you know look at I guess it's it's tough for you though isn't it because you're having to look at sort of societal issues but as you say you're yeah. only a sort of a, a small organisation with with kind of you know so much you know manpower and, and and money and everything that goes with that we're a small organisation and and then but then I look at the plus side which is if I weren't the chair of Kick Out you wouldn't have invited me on this yeah. Right, you wouldn't have invited me as Sanjay the football fan, would you? Uh, particularly not being a United fan, you probably wouldn't have invited me. <laughs> but as chair of kick out, you and you invite me, and I, I, get, I get, I get as chair of kick out, I get that audience with Peter Moore. So actually, we, we th- there's an ability to engage people because of the history of the brand and and what it's associated with, and people have a, a sympathy with what we're trying trying to achieve. Uh, and so I think that's really part of I think using with the power of that. To bring people together, to bring that there is a broad to talk about a football family. It's quite a dysfunctional family, but it is a family. It's bringing that family together to take action and you know not worry about the sort of vested interests and the silo mentality. Yeah. Do you think football could be a positive change in terms of race? Because I think you know um, people are a little bit older than me. Um, I was born in 1982, so people are a little bit older than me say that no one did more for race relations in the city than John Barnes because yep. there was obviously issues in the 80s in Liverpool. You know, the, that was, you know, early 80s, we had the sort of toxic fights, which was obviously yep. very, very sort of race related. There wasn't just race, but, you know, you know, p- predominantly the kind of issues w- were there. And, and then obviously, you know, people said you would hear stuff on the copy, you'd hear stuff all the time, you know, there's no point pretending otherwise. And then John Barnes come, He's the best player. He's the best looking player. He's the yeah. coolest player. And suddenly, well, if you know, how can I? You know, I mean, and he changed. He changed yeah. minds, didn't he? And then that's just yeah. the one sort of specific example, really. But you know, if if these people you look up to are not just sort of black, but obviously, you know, now the, all the kids in the city idolise two Muslim guys. Yeah, exactly. And so, and that, and that's got to be important, hasn't uh, it? Uh, absolutely. And I think, and and that's the thing. Mirror, sorry, the football can be a mirror on society, but it can also be a propeller to create change you know to create that energy and force and you've seen it with Mo Salah and you've seen it with John Barnes at this club and in this city um and and, and you're right I think and that's part of what we would like to do is to think how can we use football to to change and to change society and to change attitudes and that goes all the way down to the to, to the to, I still say terraces all the way down to the to all the way down to the terraces but we do have to remember that it, there are other things going on in the background you know and you talked about the broader social and political context you know so the spike in discrimination in football just matches the spike in discrimination in the rest of society yeah and and those are, there are much deeper causes for that you know that's uh, it, it, it's it, it's the things like the the breakdown in trust in our public leaders, you know. So you can trace that back to things like the financial crisis, to MPs' expenses scandal, to the Iraq War. We don't longer trust our politicians and our business leaders. You know, the the trust in those leaders is at its lowest in generations. You have 
automation causing you know issues with fear around uh, jobs you have the proportion of income that goes to the owners of capital rather than labor so the income inequality between the richest in society and the poorest in society you have social media that then exacerbates identity politics and as we're all in our little bubbles and we how often do we have this conversation where i will talk to someone who's got a different view or supports even a different football team yeah. the, the problem is the rest of society has got tribal actually yeah. like football has always been a bit mm-hmm. tribal but now it's tr- society is tribal and it's quite difficult to pull people out of their tribes and engage in a sensible conversation yeah, I mean, that's fair. And I think, I think social media is a part of that as well, isn't it? Whereas, you know, when was the last time you saw someone change their mind on Twitter? Yeah. And it feels like, you know, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people trying to get the other person to change their mind when no one's actually going, do you know what? That's a great point. I never thought of that. And, and, but that's dangerous, isn't it? In terms of, because, you know, we talk a lot about education when we talk yeah. about race and stuff like that. But if, if, if the desire to educate yourself isn't there or the, yeah. the desire, to educate the other person isn't there, yeah. then, then you know, we'll, we'll never sort of get anywhere, will we? Or to just listen to the other person, yeah. oh, well, you might have a point, or, yeah. the, or that there's a balance. Uh, and, and, and people do just very, very quickly go into their tribes and ignore whatever the issue is. I and mean, I saw it recently on social media with something... Uh, I think I think it was the Joe Gomez and Sterling thing, and I was added on something, and someone talking about um, the press. And I think James Ducker wrote an article article in the Telegraph and talking about yeah. the impact of the press. Uh, and and we, I had this the first conversation I've had to mute because it just got quickly into yeah. you know two sets of fans, and they're not really engaged on the issue. They're just it's well, what about this and what about that and what about this and that's it. People don't listen anymore. Yeah. Um, You've done a sort of a few interviews, obviously this yeah. this week. You've been, you've been a busy boy, um, and, and I read a sort of a few of them over the last couple of days. And one that that was really interesting to me because obviously where the sports group was, the idea of, of fans sort of taking responsibility, but also yep. being given responsibility. So yep. you know, this from a you know a positive empowerment kind of point of view, really. And and I thought that was that was really interesting because. Um, well, I've, I've had an instance in my past where I was I was in Anfield and I was sat there and I heard sort of a racist comment behind me and you know it was low level sort of stupid yeah. racism but it was racism and I didn't know what to do and then also I was in someone else's seat and that's like a big thing in Liverpool yeah. like it probably isn't Man United yeah. as well do you every know ground I imagine yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 and so I was like well I didn't know what to do but also thought if I report this am I going to get in trouble or am I going to get the, the guy in trouble whose seat it is. For, for saying something you know because if I, you know if it, if it ends up in a thing they'll be like well what are you doing there yeah. this is this person and so we just sort of left it and then that sort of I wouldn't say it's eating away at me do you know what I mean but it sort of bothers me over the years that like I sort of let that go because I was almost more concerned with sort of getting myself in trouble or getting more more likely this other person in trouble rather than like highlighting this thing and, and you know this individual's probably sort of still going and still making maybe making the same comments so I think there was so that that's always been conscious so when there was an incident um, last season when we played Bayern Munich away and there was an incident in the, in the Liverpool and um, I, I sort of went no I'm going to I'm going to sort of stand up on this occasion because I didn't on that occasion and I felt like yeah. I sort of let myself down a bit but but it's almost kind of knowing the kind of process. So I could have done with someone going to me, John, as if you're going to get in trouble for being in someone else's seat, this yeah. is so much bigger. Do you know what I mean? Or, you know what, you can actually do it anonymously if you just do this and then yep. no one's going to even ask you, you know what I mean? But but because I had all this sort of uncertainty in my head, I sort of ended up doing nothing. Yeah, and and but this is exactly the kind of conversation we need to be having, actually, yeah. which is 
how things happen, the nuts and bolts of what actually happens when you're in a stadium. So we had a similar conversation this week with the press talking about, you know, I've experienced discrimination, but I've never reported it. And I go, why is that? Well, you know, and actually I had a sea of mostly white male reporters who were shocked. And there's like two, three black guys and one Asian guy. And they're all going, yeah, innit? That's like that's why that's what happens in it, and yeah. because you, they understand the calculation you're doing, which is exactly the kind of calculation you're doing. Which is, I'm looking at how far, where where are these people that are doing it? How far away am I from the aisle that's safe? If I report it to the stewards, is one of them going to be taken out? Is two of them going to be taken out? Am I going to be left to deal with the rest of his mates? Have yeah. I got someone I've got a duty of care to sat next to me that I've got to take a kid out with me as well? So of course that all makes you go. It's going to be too much hassle. I just hope they shut up and. But, but the most effective thing in my experience has always been, you know, if something starts, it's actually the white guy behind me. If they say, ah, oh, shut up, mate. You know, if they, if they or pipe down, if they if they do something, actually that normally causes a pile on and everyone else, you know, will will, will contribute to make sure that that stops. And, and it isn't just because if I might be on the receiving end of something or the victim or, or, or in the category of people that's a victim of, of, of abuse, but that doesn't mean it's my responsibility to report it. We all, we all, we're all, we're all members of society. It could just as easily be the witness behind me, and they could do it. But what we, and actually, my sense is that the ninety-nine percent of supporters are like you that want to do something, mm. but we haven't armed you to tell you actually. Here are the safe things that you can do that mean that you're safe, and that you also help the safety of the crowd. And that's the kind of thing I'd be really interested in working on with the fans to work out how do we turn you from sort of bystanders who don't want to be bystanders into activists who want to help to solve the problem because. The greatest power to solve the problem will be with, in terms of uh, discrimination in the stands, is going to be the fans. They will have that because they deal with it at source and stop it escalating. Is there a challenge as well? I say challenge, but is there um, is there a desire to to kind of better connect football teams with? with people in, in, in our communities who are non-white because yep. I've noticed there's there's a few because we, we get involved with the FS, FSA now isn't it? Yeah. it used to be the FSF yeah, yeah. so you have we to be careful in. they've yeah. changed um, yeah. and so we go down to the um, the awards because like, we've been nominated sometimes so I've met the guys from like uh, the Punjabi Rams and stuff yeah. like that brilliant groups here for people who don't know who basically um, and, the, and it's it's not they're not sort of affiliated with the football club although obviously the football club you know support them but it's a group of guys you know in this case uh, Punjabi guys yeah. who just went do you know what football's brilliant there's all these people who, you know, this big group of people who aren't really going the game. Yeah. The football club would love to have you because they want to sell tickets. And and then and they sort of sort of organise this like unofficial fan group. And yeah. there's not the only one. There's a couple in Yorkshire and stuff like that yeah, as well. Yeah, there's, there's loads. And, yeah, and I think um, and stuff like that is brilliant, isn't it? But they've sort of done that themselves, really. And I think there are obviously groups in this country who still probably feel that they're maybe not welcome in a football ground or still maybe feel that not necessarily even not welcome but well football isn't for us it's for the yeah. it's for the white people who kind of live over there yeah. and i know lots of uh, lots of clubs are doing stuff you know through the foundations and through their their, their inclusion activities and strategies that they're they're trying to engage those those communities that are that are not traditionally engaged and some of the challenges they have particularly in the premier league it's easier a bit further down the leagues some of the challenges in the premier league is actually getting them in the ground because how many spare seats have you got? Yeah, well, yeah, well, <laughs> you know? especially in Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, and but actually, there are loads of these supporters groups. Actually, I think pretty much every Punjabi supporters group has reached out to me since, 
<laughs> Punjabi Rams, Punjabi villains, you know, oh, okay. Punjabi Spurs. And, yeah, so because uh, I'm Punjabi, uh, uh, but yeah, there's there are there there are loads of those groups, and I want to connect with those groups as well. Absolutely, yeah. because the, everyone's got a view, and and that's what I want is get is it's almost crowd crowdsourcing where we need to go next. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not arrogant to think that I've got all the answers now. The only thing I might be arrogant enough to say is I think I know where the answers are, which is not just in my head. It's actually in I'd rather get the opinions of loads and loads and loads of people out there as to what the problems are, where we can best have effect and, and, and actually what some of the solutions are, which actually we've been talking a little bit about this morning. Uh, I want to talk to you about a couple of recent incidents, if that's yep. okay. Um, the first one is Bernardo Silva. It's obviously yep. in the news. He got his, his punishment uh, this week. Um, well, the decision was made on, on sort of how to punish him. Um, I want to talk to you more sort of about the, the structure of the punishment, if you don't yep. mind, the sort of your thoughts on it, because it's in three parts, and it's it's a fine, yep. it's, it's a ban, and it's it's what they're calling sort of education. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> It's it's one of those where it doesn't feel to me like there's a right answer, or, or maybe you'll disagree. But um, but I, I'm interested in in the sort of balance between those really, and, and where you think more priority should lie, and what's kind of more important, and are any of those you think will, you know, because it feels to me like a, a, a fine, you know, is is all well and good, but he's just going to sort of shrug his shoulders a yeah. little bit with that. The ban, well, what what is it? What is a reasonable ban for this thing? You can make an yeah. argument that it's no games. You can make an argument that it's six, and and yeah. and, I, and I, I would be able to listen to all of those yeah. and sort of nod my head. And then the education part sounds great, but I'm not quite sure what that entails. Yeah, I and I've said a lot there. Yeah, no, no, no. It's a, and it's a, and it's a good question, and, and uh, it's. It's always difficult to get the kind of punishment to fit the crime, and so you almost have to talk a little bit about crime. But yeah, the the, the punishment has to be appropriate. And what are you trying to achieve with the punishment? Are you yeah. trying to deter future people from doing it, or are you actually trying to? Is it retribution against that person? What's 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 the what's the rationale? I, mean, I tend to agree with you on the fine. Yeah, it, it's not much use. One thing you could do with the fine is think about how do you play that back into you know if into education. Um, yeah. Maybe specifically for anything that's around around racism or discrimination. Actually, could you play those funds back into programs that will help to educate? And we'll come back to education in a minute um, to prevent those occurrences and uh, those things occurring again in the future. Uh, I think the bans rather depend on what the nature of the offence was and. Then is it symbolic? Is it a deterrent to just say, "Look, you've got to be careful." So you know, maybe in in Bernardo's case, I think the the the, the one of the things was the fact that it was on Twitter. You know, it's clearly banter between mates. You know, I, I, there are some people would have different views on whether or not that image in itself is 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 racist. I, I appreciate some people have different views. There's a long history with that particular yeah. image. But they, people accepted, I think, that he didn't mean it in that context. And clearly, this is two mates having a bit of banter. And so, but he's but he did publish it on Twitter. Yeah. And that's the that's the thing. And maybe it's maybe the the the, bat, the 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 game ban is about just be careful when you're doing things. You, when it's on Twitter, it's not you and your mates. Mm. It's you you're, you're shouting out in Weatherspoons. That's what you're doing. So, but it's like the world's worst Weatherspoons. It's the world's <laughs> biggest Weatherspoons, right? Uh, it's it, so. And then you come to the education, and actually, it depends what that education is. And, and you know, it, it goes from, I, I see things as, you know, 
when you're looking at these incidents, you've kind of got three realms where you've got how do you prevent them happening in the first place? How do you detect them when they're going on? How do you react to them? And kind of education is a golden thread that goes through all of those. So I suspect in this case, it, the education might be a little bit about safe use of social media. It might be about actually the history of something like that imagery. And you've got to think about stuff like that before you post it, right? But then more broadly, what does education mean? Because we always talk about education as being the answer. Well, actually, it's in all those categories. Yeah, in the prevent space, it is longer term educating young people. And that's so much of the stuff that goes on already with the clubs and the foundations. And we do it and, you know, Show Races and the Red Card do it. And loads of other charities stuff are involved in that educating young people. But it's also educating the fans and you know, I'm not sure we're doing as much of that. Yeah. We've got bits of it, things like we do things like fans for diversity. Um, so I, th- I think there's a you need to kind of get down to the detail and work out when we say education, which bits do we actually mean and in what context? Mm. I think the education of fans is really interesting because we obviously had an incident we see at Liverpool with the, with the banner of the Rockerigi, yeah. uh, which was in Belgium. Uh, and I thought that was a really sort of interesting case really because there was obviously so much diverse opinion on on, on, on what it meant and whether yeah. it was racist or not and, and sort of people and it was one of those before where I didn't feel a huge amount of listening was going on and we actually we actually did something we did a show on race um, earlier in the year and funnily enough this, this instant not the instant come up because it hadn't happened yet but the, the topic came yeah. up and, and, and Mo who's who's black and is one of our contributors was talking about it and he said you know that he's had so many white guys go oh, well, what's the problem with that it's a compliment you know what I mean and he's had to explain to them that basically yeah. well you've never been reduced to your body parts you've never yeah. been someone who's been reduced to you basically you're, you're you're just a physical attribute and, and sort of nothing else and and I and he was and I found it really interesting because I've never sort of heard about it you know described quite in that way I knew I knew it, it, it was it was offensive, and I knew sort of not to go down that road myself. But, but the way he explained it, I thought was very eloquent. And yeah. but I think there's not, and, and, I, and I would say apparently, you know, the, the guy who did the banner, you know, when he was spoken to after, apparently he was sort of mortified that he might have sort of offended anyone. But it just felt like there was a bit too much of a jump to to stick up for him in, in, in amongst certain yeah. people on social media. And I thought, why why don't you just listen? If someone says this is offensive, <laughs> why don't you go, okay, that's interesting. But I think it's because, I think part of the problem is that being deemed a racist is such a yeah. strong thing. And it's yeah. such a, you know, it's it's an attack on, on morals, isn't it? Like, you know, there's not many people who would proudly call themselves a racist, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? And so I think like, we're so petrified of the word. That when that when there's a suggestion that we might have been even racially sensitive, everyone just shuts down and says, "No, that can't possibly be me." Yeah, it's completely right, and people can be can be offensive w- without realising it. I think Bernardo was uh, well, yeah. he didn't. That was a, he, it. Was com- complete. He didn't mean to be that. He didn't mean to cause offence. And it sounds like the people who put this banner up, yeah. in the same way that the the guys who did the Romelu Lukaku song at United, yeah. they don't think they were thought they were complimenting. But if you so there, he's, that's exactly the kind of situation where education is the best answer. Actually, uh, is well, did you know that this is this is the history? You know, so with something like the the, the Lukaku and, and Divokarigi thing, actually, there's there's a broader history there. There's things like you know that that kind of trope was used very deliberately 
um, to stoke racial hatred, particularly in the US. So you got things like the D.W. Griffiths film, the, the Birth of a Nation, about the Ku Klux Klan. You know, really seminal, important film in the in the early twentieth century, and it was about white men. Your wives are going to be raped by black men. And it was about making, uh, sort of projecting and making uh, black people appear animalistic. And this was a symbol of that, they're animals. So it it has this massive set of historical connotations. But you wouldn't necessarily know that, would you? Mm. You wouldn't know that because it's been ingrained in the culture for years and years and years thereafter. So... I think the right the right response is not to do. I'm not one of those hang them and flog them, right? You don't just go and take people and just just right get rid of them from the ground. Actually, that makes the problem worse because mm-hmm. they get entrenched in their views. Yeah, you've got no chance of educating them, and actually, they get to moral games anyway because they'll get to away games and they'll get into the ground. You know, you're just sitting in someone else's seat. Mm-hmm. You're much better saying. Okay, you didn't realise this was offensive. Didn't, let me explain to you why this isn't is offensive. You know, Chelsea do the same thing with some of the anti-Semitic chants that they that some of their fans do and take them on education. And every year they take some people to Auschwitz. To do. That's the kind of thing that slowly starts changing attitudes. Um, and so, yeah, with those with those with those fans, the right thing to do is to have the conversation. And say, if you don't understand why it's offensive, let's explain to you why it is. And by the way, I'm not going to brand you because you made a mistake you know because one of the other things that we don't allow people to do these days is we don't allow people to make mistakes yeah yeah and people can say sorry i didn't really mean that and that should be that should be right when you educate them you say sorry you move on um just before we finish uh sanjay i mean you wouldn't have took this role on if you didn't feel that you know football can be a positive kind of influence for change that that you can sort of make a difference in your role yep. but obviously also that you know we started this program talking about the fact that there've been you know there's, there's been spikes recently in, in in sort of racial tension not just in, in football grounds but society and things like that but there, there must be something that that makes you think well well it can get better and hopefully it will get better well these kind of conversations yeah. this is this is exactly it because my Every time I've been to a game, every every time I'm at a match, I always think that 99% of the fans, they're the answer. They're all, you know, my experiences are always positive. You get the odd one. Even on social media, you know, it's somebody picked up that I got some abuse. It was two messages out of about 1,000, you know, yeah. like 0.2%. Right? That's the reality is that the, the, the vast majority of people are not like that. Uh, and so it's just that the small minority is really vocal and gets the attention and the the, the, the air time. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, maybe I'm a naive optimist, but I actually I actually think that that uh, there's more people want to help and to, to, to stamp out that kind of discrimination than there are that want to accelerate it. No, definitely. And I think as well, there's, there's obviously recently with what happened in Bulgaria, I think there's, there's a lot of focus on football and racism being what the players receive. But I think for from an Anfield Rap point of view, that what we've always really tried to strongly reinforce, and, and I will do that again if, if, if it's necessary, that football's for everyone and fo- yeah. going to the football should be everyone. And football is the best thing in my life. It's the most fun thing in my life. And the idea that someone feels they can't, experience what I've experienced because they're gay or because they're a woman or because they're black or Asian or whatever just sort of makes me sad really and I feel like you know if if this is the nation's sport if we're going to call it the nation's sport it should be for everyone in this nation football has a unique power to bring people together I'll tell you one one anecdote so there's a a guy I sat next to and after about 
15 years at Old Trafford, I, I, we, I was hugging him after a goal and I said, you know what? I think I've hugged you more than I've hugged any other woman in my life, and I don't, I don't even know your name. <laughs> but that's what football does. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks a lot for coming in, and best of luck with it all, and uh, stay in touch, and we'll uh, we'll uh, see how you get on. Thanks for inviting me. Sports Social Podcast Network.